But as we have the apocalypse open on our laps, the Bible's last book, do you realize that when you turn to the last pages of your Bible, you are opening to the hottest ancient book in America today? You don't believe me, do you? Take a look at this. Just, just a few weeks ago, Time Magazine cover story. Can you see it? The Bible and the Apocalypse, why more Americans are reading and talking about the end of the world. The Apocalypse, it's the Bible's last book and it is taking America. What is this? It is taking America by storm. I want to read just a, a line or two out of the, the introduction to this article, Apocalypse Now. Let me read this from whence comes our sermon title today. Here's how it opens. What do you watch for? Okay, talking to you. What do you watch for when you are watching the news? Signs that interest rates might be climbing, maybe it's time to refinance. Signs of global warming, maybe forget that new SUV. Signs of a new terrorist activity, maybe think twice about the flight to Chicago. Or signs that the world may be coming to an end and the last battle between good and evil is about to unfold. For evangelical Christians with an interest in prophecy... The headlines always come with asterisks pointing to scriptural footnotes. I like that line. But it isn't just the Christians. Listen to this. Not only evangelical Christians are reading the literature. In fact, when you look at the numbers of the apocalyptic literature being read in America today, the, the numbers suggest there is a broader audience of people who are having this conversation. Now, here comes some astounding Statistics, And I want you to see them. I got them right out of this Time Magazine article. We'll put them on the screen for you. Time Magazine and CNN did a national survey. Here's what they found. Take a look at this. They discovered that more than one-third of the Americans they surveyed are paying more, say they are paying more attention to how the news might relate to the end of the world and they have talked about how the Bible fits into that scenario. One-third of Americans today. Isn't that amazing? Take a look at this, this next stat. 59%. That's Three out of five. You line up five Americans, count out one, two, three. Three out of five Americans say events of revelation will come true. Get this one, next one. Nearly 25% think that the Bible predicted the September 11 attack. What's up with that? Here are some stats about a book that is sweeping the nation. As a consequence, let's put this, put this up. The Left Behind series, you know the Left Behind series, don't you? The fictitious books about how the world is supposed to end. They're all novels, trust me. Alright? The Left Behind series, as a result of September 11, sales shot up 60%. Get this, book number 9 came out last October, the Left Behind series. Book number 9 became the hottest selling, the best selling novel in 2001. Book 10 just came out a few weeks ago, released this summer. Now, you're not going to believe this. The publisher in advance printed 2.75 million copies before the publisher had sold a single one. I want, you, I want you to think about that for a moment. Publishers don't print books that they don't think they can sell. Most publishers will print 10,000 scholarly books. Sorry, professors, 5,000. They're just worried, can we sell our inventory? These guys went out and printed 2.75 million books. What is happening? You know, it makes you wonder, doesn't it? Are we Americans obsessed with the future? Hey, wait a minute. Are we as a university parish just as obsessed as they? 
I came back from my father's funeral last week. And waiting for me in the mail, I tell you the truth, waiting for me in the mail, not one, but two elaborately detailed charts, I have them right here, sent to me from honest, sincere individuals who have charted how the world's going to end. I have one of the charts. A, a more home-done done one actually came from the West. A very slick one came out of the East. But let me just, uh, let me put this in front of you. The uh, author of this chart went ahead and put yellow markings to make sure that I would see where the markings were. There it is. You can see all the way down here, the year 2000, and then a dot, 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 dot. That's the second coming. End of the world. Here's another one. This is a little slicker. Wow, look at the publication here. You open this one up. Ooh, the print is even smaller. Here it is. Got it figured out. Right to the end of the world. You know, I, I want to be careful because I do not want to belittle honest efforts like this. In fact, I'll tell you what. I put more credence in prophetic studies like this than I do the fictitious left-behind novels. Those novels are so far off the radar screen, they are actually destructive. If you read them just as entertainment to get yourself to sleep at night, that's okay. But as we begin this new series, you and I, on this university campus, as we begin a new series voyaging into the very heart of the apocalypse, the Bible's last book, I say, I say we better ask it right here at the outset. Let's just get it straight right now. Is this what the book of Revelation is about, coming up with end time charts? Is it the popular craze of cover stories? Is this what the book of Revelation is all about? Come on. Or could it be? That there is something much more, something much deeper, something much greater to compel us to journey into the apocalypse. That's a rhetorical question. You already know what my answer is. So I don't want you to hear me. I want you to listen to the words of somebody else. Somebody who happens to be right here in our midst. Our very own here at Andrews University. Our very own here in the Pioneer Memorial Church. He wrote, just came out this summer, brand new commentary on the on the apocalypse. I have it right here in the pulpit with me. The ink had hardly dried when he graciously came to me and said, Dwight, I want you to read this, please. Ranko Stefanovic, professor of religion here at Andrews University. I read all 620 plus pages this summer. I can tell you this without a doubt. This is the most comprehensive verse-by-verse -verse commentary ever published within our community of faith. And get this, Andrews University Press published it. Hey, what's wrong with that, huh? Saranko has done a masterful job of going verse-by-verse -verse through the apocalypse. And so I, I want to ask him, I say, hey, by the way, those of you who are serious about this journey that we are embarking on together. We'll go out and make a little investment to have this. So I say, hey, Ronco, tell me, what about these detailed charts and these crazy cover stories? Is this what it's all about? These are his words. We'll quote it right out of the book. Let's put them up on the screen for you. Christians, he writes. Ronco, my friend, writes. Christians must be aware that any time setting for the second coming or drafting of detailed prophetic charts with dates and sequential events is contrary to God's will. If there had been need for time setting or prophetic charts, God would have provided them in the prophetic word. Now, that's a concept. He could have written them himself. The purpose of the book of Revelation, now here's, the, here's what I like. The purpose of the book of Revelation is not primarily to inform us about the future, but to present the eternal and mighty God who holds that future. 
Isn't that good? I love it. So that means we are not embarking on a journey at the beginning of this, beginning of this university year in search of the future. Rather, we voyage together as a campus in search, seeking after the one who holds that future in his nail-scarred hands. Hallelujah. The apocalypse. Apocalypse now. We want to go to the apocalypse together because it occurs to us that there will be a face that will emerge from these ancient pages. And we want to make sure we see the face clearly. Open your Bible, please, with me. Let's go. Revelation chapter 1. Your Bible is already open to Revelation 1, is it? Good. And let's begin in verse 1. Arnold Diaz will continue behind me. But we begin. Picture of Jesus. I hope it emerges just as clearly today from the Holy Scripture. Revelation 1, 1. I'm reading in the New Revised Standard Version. Hey, wow, I don't even have to read it. I don't even have to pick my Bible up because I only want to read the first five words of Revelation 1.1. The revelation of Jesus Christ. Of course, if you were John, old man John on the Isle of Patmos, you would have written it in three words in your original language, Greek. Apocalypsis Jesu Christu. Apocalypsis. From whence comes our word apocalypse? The apocalypse of Jesus Christ. The apocalypsis means the revealing. The revealing of Jesus Christ. Just an opening introduction. But I want to tell you something, ladies and gentlemen, as we embark upon this journey that is writ large on the Bible's last pages, it is absolutely impossible imperative that you and I get it clear in our own minds this is a revelation of Jesus Christ the reason I tell you that is because there are some people who go to the apocalypse and do you know what they think it's a revelation of they think it's a revelation of the seven-headed ten-horned fire-breathing dragon see they think that's what it the dragon is not the hero the dragon is not the hero of, of the apocalypse. There are other people who, who, who mean just as well. They go to the apocalypse and they think that it is the revealing of the wine-bibbing, saint-killing, beast-riding, scarlet-wearing prostitute. She is not the heroine. Front and center, there are others just as well-meaning who go to the apocalypse. And you know what? They say, look, I'm going to find the remnant here. But I need to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, the remnant are not the heroes of the apocalypse. Not, and get this, the apocalypse is not even about the future so much as it is an apocalypsis Jesu Christu. It is the revealing of Jesus Christ. So that when we go to these pages, this is the picture we pray that God will open our eyes to see. We're not looking for beasts and dragons. We're looking for the face of the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. Ah, all right, Revelation 1. Let's pick it up again in verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave Him to show His servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending His angel to His servant John, who testified to the Word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that He saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of the prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. 
I've got to tell you that as I was studying this passage this last week, it suddenly, wow, it hit me. When I have the privilege of getting up on Sabbath and standing in front of you and those who are watching on television, it suddenly hit me. I am going to be in the presence of some very, very, very important personages. Did you get what we just read? Did you see what happened? Do you understand an awesome chain of command that God unleashes in order to get a message straight to the likes of you and me? Did you catch the chain of command? Let's, let's do this chain of command. At the very top you have God, the supreme ruler of the universe. Now, I spent my summer, my sabbatical this summer, writing a series of lectures to be delivered to postmodern, essentially post-Christian Americans and Britishers later this fall and again next fall. And as I grappled with the scientific evidence for God as the ultimate intelligent designer of the entire universe, it occurred to me I was amazed at how intricate the manner in which somebody wired this universe. In fact, you know what scientists are saying? The universe is wired for life. They call it the anthropic principle. Have you heard of the anthropic principle? Get a load of this. Gerald Schroeder, MIT physicist who now lives in Jerusalem. In his book, The Science of God, he asked the question, you want to know how finely tuned and balanced Earth is for life? Hold on to this. Now, all you science majors, oh, you're going to click on and say, yes, I understand this. The rest of us will just nod our heads. In order for carbon, the basic building block, for life. In order for carbon to form, radioactive beryllium, element number four on the periodic chart, must absorb a nucleus of helium, element number two on the same chart, to result in carbon, element number six. So this is how it works. Let's put it on the screen. Four plus two is six. Hey, who said physics is hard? What is this? This is simple. Schroeder says, wait a minute, there's more to this. However, Beryllium, okay, beryllium, beryllium doesn't have much of an existence. Get this, the mean life for the radioactive beryllium atom is 10 to the minus 16th of a second. Let's put it up on the screen. Whoa, 10, you don't even know what 10 to the minus 16th. I didn't know, so let's put some zeros on it. And if we made it as a decimal, a decimal number. Let's put this zero 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 fifteen zeros and then a one. That's how much time it takes. That's how much time the mean life of the brilliant atom has to hit connect. In fact, quoting Schroeder here, in that sliver of time, a helium nucleus must find, collide with, and be absorbed by the beryllium nucleus, thus metamorphosing into the atomic staff of life, the carbon atom. If this reaction were foiled by a mismatch, the universe would contain hydrogen and helium and not much of anything else, and the elements of life would not have been formed. Ladies and gentlemen, do you understand how razor thin the edge is? Just one quadrillionth of a second off, and we don't live. Some brilliant mind has taken the elements of the universe and has harnessed them. You know why he did it? Because he wanted you around. You are here because of that razor edge of precision. Some of you are feeling after just a few weeks into the school year, your life is absolutely worth nothing. Some of you are feeling that the dream that I had is gone. It's evaporated in the mist of the horrendous academic expectations in this university. 
I want to tell you something, my friend. doesn't matter what they give you. God still has a dream for your life. You're not an accident. God planned within one quadrillionth of a second to make sure that you would be born and you would live on this planet. Wow. The supreme God of the universe who loves His children on this planet. He said, I've got to get the revealing to them. I've got to get the apocalypsis. And so what does He do? He reaches over and He embraces. He's held Him. They've been, they've been friends forever and ever past. The second person of the Godhead, the incarnate Christ, He embraces Him and He says, You, you take, you take my message. Let's look at the chain of the command. So what do we have? We have God who gives the revealing to His Son, who then turns around and says, wait a minute, the Bible doesn't give the name. I think it might have been Gabriel. Daniel got Gabriel. Why wouldn't John? He takes his most trusted celestial messenger and says, Gabriel, come, come. I need to get a message, my man. I need to get a message to John. I trust you. You take it. And so the chain of command goes, God to His Son, to His angel, to His servant. Down the corridors of space. There comes Gabriel. He slams on his celestial brakes as he arrives at Patmos. There's a wolf of dust as he lands. There happened to be old man John meditating on a rock overlooking the sunset sea. He said, John, I've been sent for you. And what does John do? Does he grab and say, oh good, this is mine? No, immediately John transposes that celestial communique into human language and he scrawls with his wrinkled hand onto pieces of parchment and it goes to the world and you and I now have it. How does that chain of command? God to His Son, His Son to His angel, His angels to His servant, His servant to His friends. Ladies and gentlemen, do you understand the work God went through to get this book to your consciousness? Wow! All because of God's passion to share the revealing. We must, oh, we must be VVVVIPs. And this must be a compelling, critical, crucial revealing if He went to all that work to make sure we got it. Why did He go to all these lengths? Because He wants us to see the picture of the friendly God of the universe emerge from the Bible's last book. Ah, uh, I like... Let, let, let's read it again here. Revelation 1, 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John who testified to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of the prophecy and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it for the time is near. Oh, I love the way Eugene Peterson translates this in his wonderful translation. By the way, this translation, the full translation of the Bible came out three weeks ago. Eugene Peterson's The Message is now you can get from Genesis to Revelation. Take a look at how he translates just verse 3. How blessed the reader. I like that. How blessed the reader. How blessed the hearers and keepers of these oracle words. All the words written in this book. Time is just about up. Did you catch that? Time is just about up. Hey, you remember the Time magazine survey with CNN? 
39% of Americans are watching the evening news believing that there's a clue to the end of the world in the news and they're now talking about the Bible as they never did before. They believe time is nearly one out of three Americans. Time is just about up. But of course you and I don't believe the same. Because we're smart. <laughs> See? We got noodles. And yet... I know, I know what's going through your mind right now when you read that time. Just, yeah. yeah, whatever. You wish. Time is just... What is it? Time is just about up. For 1,900 years, those words have sat on a, on a crinkled piece of parchment. What are you trying to tell me? Time is just about up and it was written 1,900 years ago? I know what you're thinking. But, oh, hey, hey, hey. My friend, little caveat here. Be careful. Be very, very careful. You don't want to end up becoming a sign of Jesus' soon coming. You see, old man John, he has a deceased friend. They were fishing buddies. Grew up together. Peter. Peter wrote to the people that read his letters. Peter wrote these words in 2 Peter chapter 3. Take a look at this. First, I love this from the New Living Translation. First, I want to remind you that in the last days, there will be scoffers who will laugh at the truth and do everything evil they desire. And this will be their argument. <laughs> Jesus promised to come back, did He? Then where is He? Why, as far back as anyone can remember, everything has remained exactly the same since the world was first created. End quotes. Be very careful about voicing the words, nothing's changed. Be very careful. Now, I can tell you this, that on September 10, 2001, you could pretty much say nothing's changed. But I remind you today, ladies and gentlemen, that we now, with the rest of the inhabitants of this earth, live in a post-September 11 civilization. Big changes. I was reading this last week in the Tribune. They were doing a story, kind of this anniversary stories. So we passed the one-year mark. Comparing the headlines last year with the headlines this year in the newspapers. Do you, know, do you know what the headlines last year were? Sharks attacking American bathers. Oh. There's another one called uh, something about a congressman named Gary Condit. Does that name even ring a bell anymore? And there was a great debate about the capital gains taxes. That's last year. This year, you know what the, you know what the headlines are? War in Afghanistan. This year, the president was two days ago in a hangar in South Bend Airport, two days ago, making a pitch for the new Homeland Defense, Homeland Security Department. Whoa. Oh, and just three days ago, they announced pilots now in American domestic airliners, pilots can go in with their guns cocked. Make my day. What's up? Ladies and gentlemen, the fact of the matter is that you and I know that we are living on the razor edge of precipitation and global upheaval such as we have not seen in our lifetimes. Oh, you say, ah, come on. We'll, we'll get over it. This too shall pass. It's perhaps, perhaps. Although I remind you that for 3,051 Americans, September 11, a year ago, never did pass. Oh, this too shall pass. It might. But for my dad, August 17, never passed. This last Sunday, in Berrien Springs, for young college freshman Heather Boswell, 
already spent her first days at community college, Lake Michigan College. She's pulling out on the Highway 31 Sunday evening for Heather. Labor Day never passed, for it never came. This too shall pass? Perhaps. But what if it doesn't? And that, ladies and gentlemen, is precisely why living with that question, will I be here tomorrow? The question every reader of the Apocalypse has asked, you, me, all of us have asked, that is precisely why in the face of that question, the Apocalypse begins with the stunning announcement of God's blessing for everybody that reads this book. I want to end with that. Look at this, verse 3. Blessed is the one who reads aloud. Hey, wait a minute. This says blessed is the one who reads aloud. Let's all read it. Then we'll all get blessed at the same time. Let's read it out loud together. Any Bible that you have, you read out of that Bible. You read off the screen here. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of the prophecy. And blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it. For the time is near. We just read the first of seven stunning Beatitudes in the Apocalypse, tucked away in the heart. And they all begin with the Greek word makarios, which can be translated happy. So what we just read could really read this way. Happy are those who read and hear and keep in their hearts the words of the revealing. You think about it. This is a perfect fit promise for postmoderns like you and me. Perfect fit because we are a generation with rampant pessimism, growing uncertainty, apprehensive, insecure. And along comes a line from God that says, in the generation in which you now live, happy are you. You have the certain joy if you will read and hear and keep the words of this revealing. Beatitude number one, God is saying, hey, listen, God is saying, please understand, I am going to bless you real good if you will read and hear and keep the words of this prophecy. If you lock in His picture, lock in His picture, into your mind and consciousness, if you will take the picture that emerges from the pages of this book, if you will internalize it, if you will live out the picture of Christ, I will bless you supernally, I will anoint you supernaturally. A century ago, here's what the most prolific female author in the history of American literature wrote about the book that is the craze of America today. A century ago, these words were written. And I want to, I want to uh, run these words by you as we bring conclusion to our study. A century ago, these words, about, speaking about Revelation, there is need of a much closer study of the Word of God, especially should Revelation have attention as never before in history. Never before. Especially now. Take a look at this line. When we understand what this book means to us, there will be seen among us at Andrews University. That doesn't read that way, but wherever you live and wherever you are, there will be seen among us a great revival. Whoa. Take a look at the next line. It's all same passage, same book. Study Revelation, for history will be repeated. We, with all our religious advantages, ought to know far more 
today than we do know. And I know what you're thinking. You say, listen, I can't study this book. I'm not a theology major. I'm not a religion professor at this university. Hold on. One more sentence to give you and me hope. Here goes the next sentence. Take a look at this. God can teach you more in one moment by His Holy Spirit than you could learn from all the great men of earth. <laughs> I'm not saying get, get rid of the teachers you have. you have. They are priceless, the teachers you do have. You understand that. But there is a greater teacher who in one moment can open eternity to your consciousness. Oh, the Lord will bless. Here comes the promise. The Lord will bless all who will seek humbly and meekly to understand that which is revealed in the revelation. This book contains so much that is large with immortality and full of glory. Last line. Here it goes. Let not the solemn scenes which prophecy has revealed be left untouched. If we were half awake, if we realized the nearness of the events... 39% of Americans say, man, it must be near. If we realize the nearness of the events portrayed in the Revelation, a reformation would be wrought in our midst on this campus and many more outside the campus would believe the message, let Revelation speak and tell what is truth. Whew. I don't know if you caught uh, that incredible list of blessings. I, I need to. Please indulge me. I need to run by those four blessings that we noted. Let's just put them on the screen. Number one, did you catch it? A great revival. It's like a resurrection from lethargy. It's just like you're going through a sluggish journey now in your spiritual, spiritual life. It's just nothing is making sense. There is no life in you. A great revival would come to your spirit if you would read, hear, and keep the words of the apocalypse. Let's look at the second blessing. Take a look at this. You can be taught more in a moment by the Spirit than all the great men of the earth. We already noted that one. Look at number three. A reformation in our midst. We become lean. We become trim for God's strategic effort to, to reach a final generation with Christ. Final blessing. Look at this one. Many more. You see, it's not just about what happens inside. It's what happens around the community of faith. What, what, what is the world waiting for? New fiction on how the world will end? Is that what they're hungering for? Not in your life. They want authenticity. They want to see it in people. The way you live, the way you act, the way you talk, the way you, the way you conduct business. They see it. It's authenticized, authenticated by the way you live. The face not only emerges from the pages of Scripture, the face actually emerges from your life as well. Same author. She makes the point for the journey of this university in one sentence. I end with this. Let the revelation speak and tell what is truth. But whatever phase of the subject is presented, uplift Jesus as the center of all hope. Ladies and gentlemen, that's the call to Andrews University. Uplift Jesus, who is the center of all hope in our classrooms and in our lectures in our boardrooms and in our dormitories, in our love life and in our love of life, uplift Jesus, who is the center of all hope. Even the hard knocks we may be experiencing right now can become a quiet knocking of the Christ, Jesu Christu of the Apocalypse, who says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock open it for me, please. Last Friday, a week ago yesterday, I went down to my little study to have worship. 
was feeling really just strung out and overwhelmed. Just gotten back late the night before. Dad's funeral. I don't even remember what I read in Scripture that morning. I just can't remember it. But I do remember at the end kneeling down to have prayer, like you do when you have your private worship. So I'm kneeling down to have prayer and I'm, and I'm just putting my face to the rug and I'm saying, God, I, do you understand about this day? I have a to-do list that's a mile long and at the top of the list is a sermon that is not written and I get very nervous on Fridays when I don't have a sermon written for the next day. Very nervous. You can kind of understand. And I said, God, please, you, 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 you are a wonderful God, but I don't know how you're going to do it. I have to have this thing done by 12 o'clock so Clever can come in and we can sit down our PowerPoint man and we, we can go over the manuscript. I don't know how you're going to do it. And, oh, Father. And I just, I just ran out of things to say. And so I just, with my head in the old rug, I'm just silent. I'm there in silence. And then I heard something. And I'm telling you the absolute truth. I heard something. I heard a voice. I heard a voice and the voice was humming. And as I listened to the voice, I realized it was my own voice. <laughs> and I'm humming something. I don't know what I'm humming. I'm just humming it. I'm in prayer and I'm starting to hum. And I'm humming it. And I'm humming and I'm saying, are there words to what I'm humming? And I want to tell you, it was as if a bolt of electricity just shot up my spine when in an instant those words were brought to mind. And the words that I had been humming, the words were, only trust Him. Only trust Him. Only trust Him now. I didn't know what came next, so I had to stop and start over again. Only trust Him. Only. That's all I know of the song. But I'm telling you the truth. I'm telling you, as I hummed those words, and then I began to sing them, it was as if God stepped inside of my mind and said, Boy, let me sing the words to you. Only trust me. Only trust me. Only trust me now. And I, 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 I in a moment of worship, said, Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. You have Friday in your control. And I'm telling you the gospel truth. This is nothing about me. This is kind of dorky that I would even share this with you. But I'm telling you the truth. I got up and all the anxiety, all the worry, all the tension, the knot in my stomach, it was just like, just, just, it was just released. Because when you go to Scripture, there is a face that is supposed to emerge from your worship. Not your face. Not your roommate's face. Not your spouse's face. There is a face that's supposed to emerge. And it is a face that says, trust me. Only trust me. Turn your eyes to me. Look full in my wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of my glory and my grace. Would you like a song to sing for your worship? You can take the memory of this moment we had together, lock it in by singing night and day, turn your eyes upon Jesus. We can turn our eyes to Him and know that it's okay. Everything will be all right. The Spirit and the Bride say, Come. And let everyone who hears say, Come. And let everyone who is thirsty come. Let anyone who wishes take the water of life as a gift.
The one who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all the saints. Amen.